Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. I did not wear the shirt on purpose. The other one was not iron, so I wore this one. But hey, I also would like to be able to take the opportunity for us to thank the fourth and fifth graders for that Valentine's greeting on the way in. Would you express your thanks to them from the, our Next Gen ministry? That's awesome. Valentine's Day, obviously, it's one, the day we celebrate kind of the impact of love on the nature of what uh, St. Valentine did. Of course, there's some debate as far as exactly who Valentine's was, but it's very clear that kind of what we do for Valentine's with all the romance is very different from what actually the saint did. We also, in this month, we celebrate the impact of Black History Month. The idea that the wealth and the prosperity that this country has been able to experience has been due because of the contributions of all different kinds of people, but in America and in Canada in February, and in certain countries in Europe in October, we celebrate the significant contributions of African Americans that they've made to this country. Uh, it affects every aspect of our life. In a kind of a similar and yet even greater way, everything about the nature of God affects everything that we do. Who he is, how he is, as we've been studying his attributes, those things that are true about him, everything about God. And it's important to understand that our perceptions of God have consequences, have repercussions, have impact. If you have the wrong concept of God, that can actually have some damaging, dangerous repercussions in your life, which is one of the reasons why it's important that all of us have a proper perspective of who God is. As a matter of fact, we'd say this, the clarity on the identity of God is our greatest priority. There is nothing greater in this world or in our life than having the proper understanding of who God is. It affects our worldview. It affects how we respond to certain circumstances or adversities in life. It affects our self-esteem, how we do relationships, flowing out of this proper concept of who God is. And so we're bringing this series, God Doesn't Make Sense, to a close today. We've been taking a look at several of those attributes, those things about God that are true about him. And through each of the messages, we've tried to present two attributes that to us may seem to be in conflict or in tension, but in the mind and the personality of God, they are absolutely, perfectly, infinitely in harmony and compatible with his nature. Well, let me ask you this. If I were to ask you to complete the statement based on what you know, on what you've experienced, God is blank. What would you say? Some people are saying, good. Or we'd say God is wise or God is righteous or, or God is powerful. Or if any of you would say God is imminent, I'd want to give you a gold star right now since that's not something that doesn't come up a whole lot. Or we might say God is love. But one of those characteristics that may not come so naturally is the idea that God is holy. God is holy. That's not a term that we can easily wrap our minds around, and it's not something that we walk around with an understanding of how that applies to us. Something about this, about God, that's this feature is kind of like almost unalienable unalien in who he is, that God is holy. Today, we're going to try to deal with the reality that the holiness and the love of God, which might seem to be in tension, but that they really are compatible. As a matter of fact, here's what I'm learning. You can't really understand the love of God if you don't understand the holiness of God. You cannot appreciate the depths of the holiness of God or the love of God if there is not the understanding of his holiness. And so we're going to try in this message to be able to show how both of them are essential, especially the holiness of God, which was some people, I, I like what R.C. Sproul, who was the late Reformed theologian, he said that the holiness of God both fascinates and terrifies and can I just be honest with you that in this particular week, as I have been going through this lesson and studying for it, 
I have been reconfronted again with the nature of the holiness of God. And quite frankly, it's disturbed me. It's convicted me. It has shown me how far fallen I am from the perfect, infinite nature of God. And yet in that process, it's also humbled me. It's given me a sense of awe. It's brought comfort and encouragement to understand the nature of the holiness of God and his love that are to be held in tension. In his book, which is called The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges, Jerry Bridges says that there's to be a healthy tension between an understanding of the holiness and the love of God. In our physical world, there are two opposing forces. There is centrifugal force, and then there's the centripetal force, right? Centrifugal force is the force of an object that's moving away from the center of rotation, where centripetal force is how an object is attracted to the center of rotation. So if you take a stone and you tie it to a string and you whirl that string over your head, the stone is exerting centrifugal force on the string with the sense of distance or moving away, where the string at the exact same time is exerting a centripetal force on that stone, drawing it towards its center. Bridges will say, that the nature of God, his sovereignty, or in this case, his holiness, is kind of like the centrifugal force that causes us sometimes to be in awe and reverence or sometimes to feel a sense of distance because of this pure perfection and purity of the nature of God where the love of God is kind of like the centripetal, that when we are surrounded by his grace, his compassion, his kindness, it kind of draws us into him, that there's to be that lasting kind of tension between the holiness and the love of God, unified in his nature, but also for our good and his glory. So in the message today, what I want to do is I want to be able to present to you, I hope, a clear biblical definition of what the holiness of God is to the best of my ability, even though I confess something I can't even get my mind around, as well as the love of God and how they are compatible. We're going to take a look at three biblical stories that kind of illustrate that, make some applications, and then, as Steve mentioned, I want to offer you an invitation at the end of this message for making the choice to move towards God, who is drawing us to him. Now, quite frankly, an invitation of that sort can actually have a couple of different responses. Number one, a person can hear what you're about to hear, and they can decide, nope, not for me, and they can reject it. And folks, that's a legitimate response. In other words, people have the freedom to respond that way. You do so at your peril. But if that is your response, can I just let you know, I hope that you'll continue to come to Forest Hill Church. I hope that you'll continue to tune in and be a part of the process because... It is our hope that over time that you will begin to see this God who is drawing you to himself. But I'm hoping for many of you, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe you're not a Christian at all, you're on the, on the, the outskirts of faith that today, because of what you hear, you'll respond by saying, drawn by the cords of God's loving kindness, I want to know more. I want a relationship with that kind of God because I do not believe it's possible to truly, sincerely hear a message like this and walk away saying, hmm, that was nice, what are we having for dinner? And move on as if it didn't have any effect. So to that end, I'm going to ask you now, in the honor of the reading of God's word, if you would stand to your feet, we'll take a look at these three passages, but before we do that, may I ask you to pray for me, but also to pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is your moment. May you have our undivided attention. May you receive our undivided affection, but open our minds and our hearts to see you more clearly as you are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're taking a look at the passages, starting off with the first one from Exodus chapter 13. Here's what Moses writes. 
Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them, the enemies. With your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. And then Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim were standing above him. They had each six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me! For I'm a man ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. And then John 3, beginning at verse 16. But God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because they have not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. There's a kind of weight to those scriptures. Let's talk about a definition, first of all, of the love of God. We can kind of get our minds a little bit around that. The love of God is defined in Grudem's systematic theology is that the love of God is a God who gives of himself eternally for the benefit of others. We kind of get that, right? Giving of himself eternally for the good of others. And, and it, even though we can kind of get our minds around that, when you actually focus on the implications of that kind of love for all that God did, it is staggering to the mind. Everything that God does, all of his attributes flow out of this aspect of his love. Everything he does, it's not just that God is loving, but that God is love. He's the foundation, the inspiration of love. Even greater than St. Valentine, God is love. In everything that he does, in all that he is, even in his justice, it flows out of his love. If you're a parent, you understand what that means, right? Loving your children, when we draw boundaries for our children or when we discipline them, when we're in the right mind, we do so out of love for them to preserve what is best for their life. God, the same thing, even more so on an infinite scale. But the holiness of God, as one person said it, that the holiness of God is like the crowning glory of all of his infinite perfections. Wayne Grudem, again, will say that the holiness of God is that God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his honor. That God is infinitely distant from any sin, that there's no wickedness, that there's no sin, there's no darkness, there's no evil in or with any aspect of God. And that is absolutely true. But there's an 
a root, a fundamental, powerful root in what holiness means as it applies to God. That God is not just separate, separated from sin, but that God is separate, infinitely. He is not like anything in creation. He's separate, he's distinct, he's unique. One of my favorite words to describe God that I was given in seminary is the word that God is uncreated. I know I kind of run over that several times, but let that one sit with you for a while. God is the only uncreated being in the universe. So that when the question comes up, well, where did God come from, right? Where did God come from? The reason why we ask that question is because according to how we look at life, everything that we know in life comes from something. So God must come from something as well. But God did not come into being. God has always been. He is uncreated, which means God is in a category completely, infinitely, all by himself. That God is perfectly infinitely, eternally, separate, distinct, and unique. But here is the thing, and this is where we're going to kind of use as a big idea to drive this entire message. Because God is holy, we can be confident and assured of his faithful, his steadfast love. That no matter the case of how we perceive God in his holiness, he also confirms and assures us of his steadfast love. We'll see that in these three particular stories. The first one is how the holiness and the love of God impacts the opposing forces around his people. The context here is, is for Israel. Israel, in this story in, in Exodus chapter 15, they have already witnessed the amazing, terrifying power of God in Egypt. As God, through his sovereign justice, and he has decimated Egypt, he has shamed all of their so-called gods and that so-called little god, Pharaoh, and made them as nothing as he has hurled at them through his divine judgment, such the plagues like of, of hail and locusts and lice and frogs and darkness and even death. But now Pharaoh, after letting the children of Israel go, people of Israel go, he changes his mind and wants to go after them to pursue them, and he pursues them up to the Red Sea. And at that particular point now, they're backed up to the Red Sea, and Israel now watches that through Moses, God, he begins this wind that blows the Red Sea up into these walls, and the people of Israel walk through the sea on dry land. Here, come, here comes Egypt to be able to pursue them. They move into that dry bed, and God brings the waters of the Red Sea and covers and drowns the armies of Egypt. And now Israel is on the other side of the Red Sea, completely separated from any threat from Egypt. How do you go up against a God who can actually command and bend to his will creation and use it as a weapon to be able to do his justice? That he uses the insect and animal kingdom, that he uses the kind of meteorological phenomenon and the earth and the wind and the seas. How do you oppose a God like that? As a matter of fact, it's probably the reason why Moses would write what is considered to be the oldest poem in this song of verse 11. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? The answer, it's rhetorical. Nobody. Nobody's like that kind of God. And they've witnessed the amazing, majestic power and might of this God who is infinitely, eternally, perfectly separate, distinct, and unique. God's done that witness to Egypt. They've seen it. They've done it to Israel. But in that sense, he's also shown it to us. Do you see? This is a God who is not like any 
power or force in the universe. But do you also see his love? In verse 15, it says this, with your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. That for his people, this holy God also assures them of his love to fulfill his promises. Here's where it hits you and me right now. As the people of God who have placed our faith and our trust in God through Jesus Christ, there is no force in the universe that can prevent God from fulfilling all of his promises. No matter what we go through, no matter what comes at us, that there's nothing that can prevent God from accomplishing his purposes, his will in our life, and there is nothing in this universe that can separate us from the love of God. That once we've placed our faith and trust in him, he has made a promise, his presence, his power, his purpose, but also his steadfast love. Why? Because this God who is perfectly, infinitely, eternally, separate, distinct, and unique, that's holiness. And because God is holy, we can be confident, assured of his faithful and steadfast love. We see it in another picture in the book of Isaiah as we see the impact of our holiness and love against our own personal failures. In this particular story of Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, he is seeing a vision. God has given Isaiah a vision. It's not a face-to-face encounter, thank goodness, because it could have been a whole lot worse. Just a vision. And what Isaiah, Isaiah sees in that vision is this amazing, holy God, lofty and high, on a throne over everything. And he sees these seraphim, these powerful, fiery, celestial beings that are flying with wings that cover their face and their feet, and they're calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy. Not good, 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 or love, 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 or right, but holy, holy, holy. In proper Hebraic fashion, when you are repeating a certain word over and over again, you are magnifying the significance of that which you're talking about, that God is not simply just holy. He's not just holy, holy, but that God is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah will say that the sound of their voices to speak about God, it caused the foundations of that particular place to shake. And Isaiah responds in the only proper natural way that you and I can respond to the the reality of the presence of God. He says, woe is me. I am undone. There is a sense of desperation and desolation in his heart. He knows what he deserves in front of a God like that. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. How would you respond to experience the unfiltered, unhindered presence of Almighty God to your unshielded soul. It's kind of like an illustration of what happens with the sun, right? How many of you are pretty much tired of all these clouds and rain? You want want to be able to see the sun? You can't wait for spring and summer? Absolutely. But right around July and August, you'll be like, "I I want the fall and winter again. Okay. Here's what happens when we walk outside, when it's in a dark room and we walk outside and the sun's in the sky, right? We blink. Because it's natural. Our eyes are not designed to handle the brilliance and the radiation of the sun. We blink. Do you all know why we're not supposed to look at a solar eclipse? Here's what happens at a solar eclipse. As a matter of fact, scientists will say that when the sun is completely covered with the moon, it's okay to look at the sun at that point when it's completely 
covered. But here's a problem. When the sun is covered by the moon and, and it's dark, our pupils dilate, open up so that we can let as much light come in as possible. But you know how we are when we see something that's amazing. We're like, oh, wow. See what's happening here? Wow. And our eyes are wide open because it's amazing. We don't know when to turn away. So when the sun comes out from behind the moon, when we're not ready for it, the light of the sun traveling at 186,000 miles per second, it hits our eyes, pupils completely dilated with all the light coming in. As one person says, that kind of impact will cook your retinas. It's called retinopathy. That's one of the reasons why you don't look at it, because you can be surprised by the sun and your retinas are not designed to handle the sun and we're fooled because it started off as dark, but then all of a sudden it surprises us. Our eyes have not been designed to handle the power of the sun. My friends, in very much the same way, in this fallen, sin-infected world, our souls, as they are, sin-infected and fallen, are not capable of being able to endure the presence of God as he is. That that presence, when we encounter the holiness, the majesty of God, it can destroy us. Infinite, perfect goodness, righteousness, justice, Every single human being born, ever born, is not capable in themselves to handle that kind of light. You get an idea of the holiness of God. But do you see the love? Do you see the love of God? Because here's the thing. God gave Isaiah a vision, and that vision didn't obliterate Isaiah. In other words, there's an aspect of even mercy that God would even allow Isaiah to see an aspect or a portion of his glory. But then, even as Isaiah is calling out like you and I would call out, woe is me, I'm a man, I'm undone. The holiness of God magnifying that which is not right in my life. And yet, what God does, he does something about our problem. He does something about Isaiah's problem, and that's where he dispatches these seraphim, these fiery angels who bring this coal from this holy altar, and they bring it to Isaiah's lips, the thing that he's concerned about at that particular point, and the coal touches his lips, and what happens is that holiness and righteousness is transferred from God through that coal to Isaiah's lips so that the angel then says to Isaiah, behold, your iniquity is removed, your sin is atoned for. In other words, Isaiah, who before that had been separated from God because of his sin, now, because of the love and the grace of God, is now separated from his sin as he's redeemed and reunited with God. That's what he does. That any of our personal failures, whatever we've done, however big you think it is, and I know that sometimes there are people who think that what I've done is so big that not even the infinite mercy of God can cover that. Listen to me. Don't just bring your petty sins to God. Bring the big ones. Bring the ones that have kept you in a tomb, the ones that have paralyzed you, the ones that have borne the weight of shame on your life. Bring that to God because he can do something about which keeps you and me paralyzed and separated from him. This is a God who does not tolerate our being separate from him, but through his mercy has provided a way for us to be forgiven and cleansed and renewed and reconciled to our relationship with God so that we can also be used as a vessel 
for honor. Why? This is a God who is perfectly, infinitely, eternally separate, distinct, and unique, like nothing else in creation, but because God is holy, we can be confident and assured of his steadfast and faithful love. Where does that show up? It's in that third story related to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is that separate, distinct, and unique, infinitely, eternally, perfectly God in the flesh. This God, even though he is so far above us, he comes to us. It seems to me that God is always coming to us. But here's what happens in kind of moral ritualistic purity. And that is, is that if you've done what you can to make sure that you stay pure, especially according to the Jewish law, if you touch something that's impure, like a dead body or, or you touch a disease or something like that, then the impurity of what you touch transfers impurity to you, and now you become impure. But Jesus, even though he takes on the form of human flesh, God in the flesh, he comes to broken humanity, and when he touches, he doesn't become impure. He transfers the power of holiness and righteousness to what he touches. And so he alleviates diseases. He exercises demonic possession. He even eliminates and evicts death from a body that's experienced it. This is the Jesus who comes into the world not to condemn the world. Why? Because the world's already condemned. That's what it says in verse 17. But here's the thing, and here's where the holiness of God is. He says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe, who does not trust, is condemned already. Folks, here's the truth. Again, you can't understand the love of God if you don't understand the holiness of God. And to understand the holiness of God is to understand all of us are already in a condemned state. All of us have fallen, not just a little short, but way short of the glory and the holiness of God. None of us Approach the standard of righteousness, and all of us are all of us are guilty. When you compare yourself to one another, you might look pretty good, but according to God, we don't even come close. All of us are in a state of condemnation. But God loved the world in this way that He sent his one and only son, the one and only, unique, separate, and distinct, send his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Folks, let that word sit there for a while, that we would not perish. The continual progress of what happens to a person in a condemned state is that they will perish. And here's what perish means. The word means to be utterly, completely ruined to be destroyed. And I know sometimes we don't want to think about that or talk about that, but this is a reality in the scriptures. Jesus himself preached that. This word called hell. And hell is the eternal condition of a soul that is eternally separated from God. The only thing that they will know at that particular point is the justice of God. That's perishing. You see the love that God loved the world this way that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have 
everlasting life. That because Jesus Christ on the cross, he is the only one capable of being able to take the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God that we deserve so we might receive his forgiveness. There was a Christian firefighter who had a colleague who basically said to him, you know, you all believing in Jesus, believing in Jesus is for weak people, is what he said. And which is interesting coming from a firefighter because you wouldn't think that any neighborhood that has a fire hydrant on the street or a fire station down the road, you wouldn't consider that neighborhood weak, would you? Because they've got those kind of resources. As a matter of fact, imagine what it's like that a person in their home at their, at their neighborhood, their house is going up in flames, roll up the fire station, the firefighters to put the fire out. But before they can begin to do that, the owner, on a full-on rage, comes to the firefighters and says, how dare you try to put out my fire? You're telling me you don't think I have the ability of being able to put out the fire. That's insane. Rather than being angry that the firefighters are doing their job and making it feel as if that person should be ashamed that they're doing that because they're weak, know instead that we have a great deal of gratitude for the men and women who place their lives in danger every single day to use the resources they have to do what we cannot do on our own, and that is deal with fire. You wouldn't consider a neighborhood with a fire hydrant or a fire station weak, but intelligent but being able to have the resource there to do what they can't do on their own. Here is the nature of what God does, this holy God, through Jesus Christ. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves in handling the holiness and the righteousness of God. Jesus absorbs all of that, what we deserve, the punishment that we deserve, and that if we place our faith in him, we are guaranteed by this God who is perfectly, who is infinitely, who is, is distinct and unique. But because God is holy and he assures us, assures us of that, that faithful, steadfast love, that we are forgiven, that we are renewed, we are reconciled. And here's the thing, folks, here it is. He transfers his holiness to us. That we are also made holy, not just forgiven, not just reconciled and renewed, but he makes us like himself, holy. We become distinct, separate, and unique in his steadfast love. So how do you respond to that? May I offer you the invitation, and that is this. In the name of that kind of a holy, loving God, be loved and be holy. Come, be loved by God and be holy. Specifically, for those of you that are here and you may have had, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but maybe like it happens to us, we kind of go off road. Our journey goes kind of rogue. And we do or say or think or act in ways that don't reflect his, his righteousness and therefore we have the sin issues to deal with. Or maybe we've just kind of, kind of put God at arm's distance, that we've allowed that distance to continue and we're not really walking in devotion. My invitation to you is this. Allow this holy, loving God who has already come to you to draw you further in. And by the way, this is where the QR code can come in, where some of you may want to respond at this point. If you're a Christian at this, at right now, then you, you, you want to say, you know something? I'm tired of kind of doing things on my own. I'm ready to take steps towards the God who has already come all the way to me. 
I don't want to do Christian life on my own, so I want to become a part of a bridge group. I'm ready to sign up and, and join a bridge group. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to turn out, but I've got to take some steps if I am professing faith in him. Or maybe it's time for me to profess my faith in Jesus Christ and make that public through baptism. I'm ready to go on record and say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe to join this church. To become a full-fledged covenant member, you can make those selections. When you sign into the QR code, you can scan it with the seat back that's ahead of you, and you can go ahead and let us know exactly where you want to take those next steps. Or maybe it's to volunteer to say, you know something, in, in the same way that Christ has served me, I need to be serving others as well. I'm ready to volunteer either in this church or in the city, but I'm ready to take those steps and to receive the forgiveness of Christ and to receive his calling to partner with him in ministry. But maybe you're here today and... Maybe you've been doing the church thing and maybe you thought you were there and, and hearing these messages over these last several weeks or maybe even today, you realize, you know something? I've never really placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day. At the very bottom of the Get Connected box when you sign into the QR code, at the very bottom, it says that you are ready to trust Jesus Christ for the first time, which we will be hooping and hollering for you in that process you let us know and we'll help you to take those next steps into being able to make sure that your faith in Jesus Christ becomes something that has weight to it. So I invite you, scan the QR code, let us know how you want to respond to this holy and loving God who has called you into that eternal relationship with himself. And, and here's the thing, especially for those of us who are part of Forest Hill Church, we want to be bridge builders, people who build bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Jesus Christ. To do that, we first of all have to be properly connected to God, to be both recipients and then conduits of his mercy, his grace, his peace, his love, his truth, his holiness. Do you realize that God desires to use you and me as vessels through which he touches his world and brings his kingdom reign to it? Be loved, be holy, living lives that reflect his ownership, his power, his blessing, his purpose. Assured that nothing can prevent God's purposes from being fulfilled and nothing can separate us from the God who has brought us to himself and has secured us with his eternal love. Nothing. That's a life worth living and pursuing for his glory. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in some way. Again, scanning that QR code and let us know what God is doing in your life. Jesus, I ask right now, especially for those who do not know you, I pray that right now, Lord, that they would acknowledge, number one, that they know that they need you. They know that there is sin that needs to be resolved and that, Lord, you are willing to address our spiritual and eternal distress. And that they would place their faith and their trust, believing in your death for their sins, believing in your resurrection from the dead, and believing that your love can reconcile them to a holy God. I pray here today for my brothers and sisters who might right now feel as if your love is distant or that there's no chance and that they have kind of oversinned your grace. I pray today that in the confession of their sin that they would recommit themselves to a God who has never diminished his commitment to them. And that from this place that, Lord, we would take the steps to live lives that reflect the beauty, 
the majesty of your holiness and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.